Jalen Nye and Daryl McIntyre. Supported by Abe's Door Service. With 24-7 emergency service where you speak to an actual person. Visit abesdoor.ca. Well, we've been talking about it uh, for the past couple of months and, you know, it touched again on it this morning. It's uh, Canada's worst wildfire season on record. Some new numbers this morning show the Canadian, uh, well, it's the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Centre website says there are 487 active fires across the country this morning, about 253 of them out of control. There's smoke warnings down into the states and we know that in Alberta and right across the country that um, Indigenous communities have been impacted uh, dramatically by the forest fires this year and in years past. And we've seen so many evacuated, in some cases uh, buildings and parts of their communities burned down. That was earlier in the fire season, primarily in the month of May. Lately, uh, it's been much better. There are about 10 fires in Alberta considered to be out of control, 86 wildfires burning overall, but uh, clearly it's a much better situation but the impact and the fallout and dealing with it after the fact can go on for a long long time so how do you how do you deal with that for indigenous communities being sometimes in remote areas uh, sometimes uh, you know and, and just living off the land or being part of the land it can be a, a huge challenge uh, Amy Cardinal Christensen is uh, Parks Canada researcher also host of the Good Fire podcasts joining us this morning just to talk about fire stewardship especially for indigenous people climate action cultural practices all of that good morning amy nice to have you on how are you yeah good morning thanks yeah i'm pretty good thanks i'm up at a passport camp up here so um just north of fox lake uh with which is um, a reserve of little uh, red river cree nation so tell amy tell us what the situation is is like up there right now we know that a lot of folks were eventually starting to to go home um but we haven't heard any real first hand hand accounts about uh what that process has been like what's left um you know trying to recover what's going on up there yeah, so at the camp, I mean, there's still active fires, so we're still uh, working on those. And I think the the big thing right now is just getting the community ready so they can go back. And that's uh, Little Red River Cree Nation is doing a, a great job of trying to speed that process along. As you know, when communities return, it's not just as simple as returning. They need, you know, power. They need uh, water. They need their medical centers back up and running. They need, you know, uh, supplies. So. Yeah, it's not just as simple as, you know, just that you can go and flick the lights back on. There's a lot of people that go into helping communities return. Oh, and it's also difficult because of the location. I remember when the evacuations were underway, it was by boat or by air, uh, right? It was by the ferry to get out of that community. And then the fire ended up sweeping into it. How much of the community was lost and how much is, is there still to go back to? Yeah, so I think for the official record that they have there, it's... um. I think it was 82 um, homes. Mm. So, yeah. So I think I mean, obviously, fire has a, had a devastating impact there, 
And uh, but I think they're trying to do a good job of, of cleaning and getting people back, and then getting people housed as soon as possible. You've been doing uh, you've been doing uh, research um, into the the impact on uh, Indigenous communities and fire, and I mean you've touched on a little bit on the fact that it's you know it's it's pretty difficult for uh, these communities to be uprooted and then come back. Give us an idea of how folks are feeling right now, and you know with that return on the horizon yeah so i haven't actually been out and talked to a ton of community Mm. members here yet but i know in past research that that we've done usually what happens is you know that the people are very excited to return home and um and so that's totally normal but when they get home there's often a sense of you know that things aren't normal basically when they i think we all long for that right when you experience an event you want to go home and you want it to be a return to normal but you know, things in the community have changed, obviously, especially when you experience structure or home losses. Uh, so, yeah, when people go home, usually what happens is that, you know, it's not just that returning that's easy. They go home lots of times because they've lost power. There's no, um, you know, the, the fridges and the freezers, all the food spoiled. And for Indigenous people that, you know, uh, rely on subsistence hunting you know lots of them have big freezers with wild game and uh, you know that might be gone um, and then too like the oftentimes because the fire was right at their community the the landscape and, and their territory is also heavily impacted by the fire so you know when you return you're returning to a whole new landscape and for many cultural values have been impacted in that area and you know places where they used to gather and, and hunt so um, yeah, lots of communities experience a lot of ecological grief when they return home because it's just, you know, there, there's just been so many kind of profound changes. Yeah, I wonder if you can expand on that a little more. I'm sure that there are people who recognize that Drayton Valley was evacuated and Edson was evacuated and Evansburg. Uh, how that, you know, and traumatic for, for those individuals as well. Uh, I'm not saying one is worse than the other, but how is it just different, the, the, you know, the impact uh, for a community like Drayton Valley, for example, and and for some indigenous communities, how is how is the impact uh, a, a different kind of experience? Yeah, so yeah, great question. I mean, I think, like you said, it's hard on all evacuees. I think one issue for First Nations communities is that there's additional like jurisdictional complexities, which is like a big word, but it basically means that for um, like emergency management, fire management, all those things, those are under provincial jurisdictions, so under the control of the province, but for reserves, um, they're federal jurisdiction. So it just adds more bureaucracy to kind of the going back process. Um, as well, um, as you were talking about, like, the, the access, right, to communities. So um, for, like, Little Red River Cree Nation, they've got, like, a, a small barge to get in and out of the, the community there and other communities that we've worked with as well. It's not easy to get supplies in and out for that kind of rebuilding process. And then as well, like, it because they're so reliant on the land around them for their lifestyle and for their culture, you know, the second that you lose that land and you can't go out and carry out your cultural activities, it can be really devastating on people um, in those areas. 
Amy Cardinal Christensen joining us this morning. So, Amy, when it comes to that, I mean, it, you know, it, it would seem that the, it could it would go a long way if um, you know, the indigenous uh, communities would be able to work more with um, with the other authorities to help manage the fire situation in their communities when they happen. Uh, how much is that happening? Um, what more needs to be done to 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 do that? Because you know, I've I've listened to podcasts. I've listened to shows and it seems it seems like indigenous knowledge keepers have so much more history and 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 knowledge about fire and how it's seen how it's used um than maybe some others that we could learn some things from them (laughs) yeah so i think for indigenous nations across canada many used fire on the landscape and they used it to promote like their cultural values but also to reduce the fire risk around their communities. And so the whole idea of that was that by using fire during times when it was safe, so like the early spring or or the late fall, and removing vegetation, then you reduce what's available to burn in like, you know, the hot, dry um, times when, you know, you can get these big out of control fire events. But when uh, people settled Canada, they brought with them kind of European fire exclusion policies where, you know, it was that you weren't allowed to use fire um, in the forest and then also um, any fires that were caused by lightning were suppressed. And so we got really good at firefighting in Canada around like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and so what's happened with that is that um, because of that, we've had now we have a lot of fuel build up on the land, and when we combine that with forest management practices, um, and also uh, combining it with climate change, you know we're looking at really increased risk to many communities, and so. Indigenous people have kind of been left out of um, being involved in uh, fire management decisions in their territory. So not only during a fire, but even like leading up to a fire and, and how that forest is managed. And so there's been a real push by many nations, especially in like the interior of British Columbia, mm-hmm. um, to bring back um, Indigenous-led uh, fire stewardship to the land. It's a it's a great conversation to have, and hopefully some uh, some some action results from it. Amy, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for uh, giving us uh, some perspective on this. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. Take care. Amy Cardinal Christensen, uh, Parks Canada researcher and host of the Good Fire podcast joining us this morning 6 45 a quick pause here when we come back cycle back around to that conversation that we're having about the uh well maybe the best slash worst summer <laughs> job you've ever had stay with us another one buys the dust another one buys the dust and another one gone and another one gone another one buys the dust hey. This Morning with Jalen Nye and Daryl McIntyre is brought to you by Abe's Door Service, where service is their specialty. Visit abesdoor.ca. Wednesday morning, June 28th, uh, last day of school this week for uh, most kids across uh, uh, the country, the province. Um, Has you thinking maybe about, well, reminiscing a little bit. 
the, uh, your old summer jobs. And it's fun to sort of focus in on some of the worst ones because it's like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and I can't believe I survived that. Uh, one of them including, uh, the, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm my empathy is there on this one. Worst one was cooking burgers over a hot, greasy grill at the burger barn in Sylvan Lake. Mm. So you're in Sylvan Lake. Everybody's there having a blast yes. in the summertime. The water slides were there probably back in the day and it would have been wonderful and you're in a kitchen breathing aerated grease. Yeah, but you're making people happy because you're giving them that nice burger and a hot salty sure. fries. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes it so much better. <laughs> Uh, Steve says, summer of 73, I lived in Turner Valley, mopping oil from around the compressors at the local gas plant. It was loud and it was dirty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gary was rolling sod by hand at a sod farm. Yeah, that's a... That's a, that's a tough job mm-hmm. all through the summer. Uh, Anne Maria is with you with the strawberries. Oh, strawberry picking picking. strawberries. Brutal. I planted strawberries for. Maybe that goes back to why I'm not necessarily a strawberry fan. Mm. I, I'm not a big strawberry fan, although I planted strawberries this year. Actually, so my, my husband said, "What you, you don't eat strawberries. Why did you plant them? I'm like, oh. It's apparently something you're supposed to do. I don't know. We'll try it. Uh, Robert says, um, alfalfa is heavy. Clover-filled <laughs> feed hay is full of bugs, and the horses ate quite a pile daily. Farthers either farmers either for fun or profit earn their keep. Yeah, if you if you have true. alfalfa bales, it's it's heavy stuff. So Why you is start it so tossing heavy? those. It's just uh, instead of the grasses, there's there's grass hay, there's mm. alfalfa that goes in there. It's got a lot more nutrient. It, okay. It's almost like it's torqued up feed, right? It's uh, it'll wire up some some animal. Is the but it's really good feed. Does it smell really good? No, it smell yeah, it can smell yeah. good. Although it's a, it's a, I, I can't describe it. It's it's a weird sort of smell. It's sort of a a musty almost yeah. semi bittersweet. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to describe it. Anyway, heavy years all get out because I think it holds a little bit more moisture. It's just thicker stalks, mm-hmm. thicker everything. Yeah, the Tough worst stuff. summer job. I think um, one of the coolest ones. I talked a lot about my my friends working at McDonald's when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had you know, well Dairy Queens, right? I mean, uh, and a lot of my friends worked at the Dairy Queen as well. But there was one Dairy Queen in Sault Ste. Marie that still served the hard ice cream Ooh. not soft serve oh, uh, it was the best and still i think it's still there and you know you can't find the hard serve ice cream a lot in the dairy queens anymore and that place was a popular spot because they made these massive ice cream cones do you remember <laughs> that when you were a kid though not just the little teeny weeny ice you used to get like Monsters. triple decker Massive the side of your head, size of your head, ice cream cones. I, Lactose intolerant. I can't. I can't justify any <laughs> of this. Well, you could do a yogurt. I'm just punching air over here. Yeah. <laughs> Cody sitting oh, out there in the sun, sweating with no ice cream. Yeah, I do remember as a kid wondering. You know, when I become an adult, I'm eating at Dairy Queen every day. Because why wouldn't I? Because oh, I yeah. can afford to. Banana splits every single oh, day. Oh my goodness! Would Peanut make sense buster to me. parfaits. Oh, my gosh. Now I look at it. It's like it's slathered on my thighs. Call me happy. But Jeepers, it just puts on weight. I just look yep. at it now. Yeah, well, then you got to have two of them. That way it balances oh, out it balances on each side of your spread butt. Spread it out a little yeah. bit, yeah? Yeah, perfect. Uh, if, what are your worst summer jobs? Most memorable summer jobs. Maybe it's not worst. Maybe it's just memorable. Uh, fire them into oh. us. 780-496-0063. What did you see?
Listen to this one. Lonnie says, when I was 14, I worked a summer at a pig farm, shoveling pens, hot, stinking, gross. I literally showered every night until the hot water ran out. Then I doused myself top to bottom with brute. (laughs) Don't judge. It smells better than pig crap. (laughs) I would agree on that one. No judging. Yeah, bring on the brute. You You know, maybe it's better that it wasn't Stetson. So there you go. It's 6.53.